Now, um, as we, uh, just before we get started here and we look at uh, the book of Daniel together today, I wanted to mention uh, today, uh, this past week, I was getting some addresses to, uh, to send out some thank you cards, and I took a look at the directory update, and I noticed that several of you may have missed that we're trying to make sure we have all the right uh, addresses, phone numbers, emails, updated information. So as you leave today, if you haven't had a chance to do that, make sure that you grab one of these and put that in there. Uh, Children's Church is happening now too, sorry. Chelsea's running, <laughs> doing Children's Church for us today. So if you'd like to go to Children's Church, Chelsea has a fun lesson for you. But now I'm lecturing, every, now I'll go back to lecturing you about telling us if you <laughs> about your emails and your addresses so we can make sure to have that on file. You never know when we might want to like send you a inflatable manger scene or something is that we need to send you I just put one up yesterday so it was on my mind uh, but we we need to we need to know that information so if you can let us know and grab that on your way out that'd be great uh, don't forget also to grab these little cards if you want to share with somebody about the stuff going on here at the church from our live Christmas radio production to uh, the Christmas afternoon this week we got cards to advertise that uh, so today we're talking about Daniel I uh, in thinking about this I wonder how many of us have thought about Daniel in terms of a Christmas book. So I'd like you to begin thinking about, well, how does the book of Daniel relate to Christmas? Because I'm hopeful that that'll be a delightful surprise to you as we end up uh, there eventually. So the book of Daniel, you probably know a couple things about the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, you probably know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, and those are all their beautiful stories in the book of Daniel. <laughs> you probably also know that uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three young Jewish men who are taken from Israel uh, by Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon when they take over Jerusalem. And then the book of Daniel follows their experiences, what happens in their lives as they live as exiles in Babylon. So for the Jewish people, uh, important book to say, well, what was it like for us when we couldn't live in Jerusalem? We couldn't live in Israel, the promised land, and we had to be faithful to God in a land far away, in Babylon in exile. And that's what the book is all about. I would say that uh, Daniel is probably one of the later written books we have in the Bible, but I, would, uh, I should say maybe you can think of it as a later published book because there's a lot of information in Daniel that reveals that it comes from the time period that it's talking about. Somebody who wrote Daniel clearly knew a lot about uh, Babylonian and Persian culture. You find a lot of words that are only used in Daniel and also used in those times when Daniel is meant to have happened. So clearly it comes from that time period, but also we know that there's somebody who's kind of compiling all this and giving it to us at a later point, maybe about 200 years before Jesus was born, giving us some reflections on what it means to be faithful to God when you're when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, when you're away from home, when the world has gone awry and you're trying to figure out how to live in the middle of that. So that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people who refused to compromise their faith but lived in such a way that brought glory to God and a culture that had forgotten God. And so those are the kind of things Daniel asks us to think about and to live into together as people who understand the book and what he's saying. So first thing we're going to read is from Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 through 49. I'm going to pick up here at the end of a story where Nebuchadnezzar calls together all of his uh, magicians, all of his wise leaders, all of those who are under him to explain to him a dream that he's had. 
There's a lot of pressure on this because Nebuchadnezzar says, if you can't tell me what my dream means, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> and that reminds us a little bit of, of Nebuchadnezzar and who he was. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the more prominent leaders of early empires, not necessarily a great person <laughs> when we think about what he did and, and the kind of, of, of rule that he instituted around uh, the known world at that time, the empire that he established. But it's interesting that the book of Daniel really focuses in on Nebuchadnezzar for the first five chapters. The whole story is about how God is trying to communicate to Nebuchadnezzar about who he is. So that God even cares about kings, brutal kingdoms, brutal emperors like Nebuchadnezzar is trying to communicate his love and his authority and his, his presence to them. And that comes across in the story. Now, I always read the story of Daniel chapter 2 and I hear about the magicians coming before Nebuchadnezzar and him saying, if you can't explain my dream... I'm going to execute you all. I feel like I could come up with a good explanation, right? I'd be like, all right, well, your dream means you had a bad salad yesterday and you shouldn't eat that again. Uh, but apparently those kind of explanations weren't sufficing for Nebuchadnezzar. He had an idea of what the truth would sound like and how it would make sense. And so finally they bring Daniel before him and Daniel begins to explain the dream. So I'm not going to read the whole dream for you, but I'm going to pick up in Daniel's explanation of what Nebuchadnezzar saw. So in verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2, this is Daniel speaking. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Now, so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of these different rocks and, and, and uh, uh, metals and what they're, how they're interacting with each other. And Daniel says, well, God's telling you about different kingdoms. And it's pretty clear as you go through Daniel's explanation that one of those kingdoms is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And so you see Daniel kind of moving through Hey, there was an Egyptian empire, there was a Babylonian, a Syrian empire, there was a Babylonian empire, there's going to be a Persian empire, and there's going to be a Greek empire, and maybe he even gets to the idea of a Roman empire. And then at the end here, he talks about uh, this last kingdom that will never be destroyed. Now let's describe, let's look at what Daniel says about that last kingdom. One, the last kingdom is set up by God. It is not set up by human beings, it's set up by God. Number two, it'll last forever. Number three, it will be ruled by God and not by human beings. Number, uh, number four, it arrives while other kings reign. And number five, it will outlast all those kingdoms that it arrives during their reign. And number six, it will never end. So he repeats that again. It will last forever, it will rule forever, and repeats again, it will never end. 
All right. So uh, as people who follow after Jesus, this is obviously a place where we can say, well, Daniel's describing the coming of the kingdom that Jesus brings because Jesus arrives during the reign of other kings. Uh, Jesus arrives and his kingdom comes, and it's not necessary, necessarily something that conflicts with uh, there being a Roman emperor because Jesus isn't interested in starting up a physical kingdom that uh, is going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome. Now, Jesus and his followers, they will offer criticism, they will offer resistance to what it is the Roman Empire is doing, and they'll be pushing back on the ways that the emperor has set up things. Yeah, that'll happen, but Jesus isn't interested in establishing a physical kingdom, and yet he's bringing a kingdom that is going to be set up by God, ruled by Jesus, who is God in the flesh with us, and will never fade away. So we see all that reflected here in, in, in uh, Daniel's prophecy. It arrives while the king's reign, it'll last forever, it's set up by God, it will never end. And this is the kingdom we're invited to be a part of as followers of Jesus. Now, the reason that I, I bring up this story, I want to spend a little more time in another passage of Daniel, is that uh, it's important for us to understand uh, the message of the book of Daniel is about this kingdom that God is establishing that's going to be different from the kingdom that we've known before. Because before, God established a kingdom in Israel uh, that was a physical kingdom with physical kings, physical leaders, where you had a polity set up of, here's what I do to pay taxes, here's what I do to make sure that I'm respectful as a member of society, and, and this is how we're going to structure our society. But now God is going to set up a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that goes above and beyond what he's done before. And we've seen this in other prophecies as we've gone through this series of looking through the whole Bible in the air. Jeremiah says, uh, gives this great prophecy where God says, I'm no longer going to give you a book of laws. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. I'm no longer going to give you an Ark of the Covenant where you're supposed to worship. Instead, I am actually going to bring my presence into each of your hearts so that you can worship me wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing in life. This is all part of the same prophecies. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they've been faithful to God to say, we're not going to eat food that God has said that we shouldn't eat. We're not going to fall down and worship an idol, even if it means that we're going to have to be thrown in the fiery furnace. As they've been faithful in all this, they have been representatives to say, we are not going to live in a way that uh, dishonors God just to make political leaders happy. We're not going to live in such a way that is disobedient to God to obey people who have uh, political uh, earthly power. And so when Daniel describes this kingdom that's coming, that's never going to end, that no one can be destroyed, that you can't defeat, uh, and, and this kingdom that's going to be set up by God, that's somehow not going to conflict with other earthly kings, we are meant to, as Christians, see this and say, this sounds like Jesus. This sounds like the kingdom that he brings. It's a kingdom of people that were so faithful to him that nothing could stop them. No earthly kingdom could stop them. And, and I love this passage as I think about how was the kingdom that Jesus bring uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy that says it will crush all those other kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. It's interesting that this passage doesn't describe this kingdom fighting battles. It doesn't say it's going to be an incredibly powerful warring king. The soldiers and the armies are going to be impressive. It just says that the, the power that it has is going to crush all those other kings. And when we look at the followers of Jesus and how they live their lives, the way that they crushed all those other kingdoms is because even if you killed them, they would still be faithful. They were willing to go to death because they knew they would live again. 
And it's the kingdom that Jesus brings, who is killed by the, the most powerful emperor that, empire that anyone had known. And yet he lives again because of his faithfulness and self-sacrificial love. And that's the life that his followers are meant to live into and the life that Daniel describes for us in this kingdom that will outlast all their kingdoms. All right, let's look at another passage. Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 and 9 through 10. 1 through 3 and 9 through 10. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from each other's, came out from the sea. He describes those beasts. He describes a horn of one of those beasts that comes and, and speaks blasphemy. And then verses 9 through 10 he says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Now, in this passage, we continue to have this idea of, an, of earthly kings contrasted with a heavenly king. We're about to look at Revelation, and if you're interested in diving into Revelation and saying, well, what's going on? What is John, the writer of Revelation, trying to say to us? You would really need to have a copy of Daniel and a copy of Ezekiel in your hand to understand Revelation, because the writer of Revelation is very attached to using these books to inform everything that he's saying. And you may recognize, if you've read through Revelation a few times, you may recognize the scene of the Ancient of Days, of thousands upon thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000, falling before his throne, of this river flowing from the throne, uh, of this hair like uh, uh, wool and snow, that these images all come up in Revelation. This is how John describes the throne of God in heaven and what's happening there. Everyone who's ever existed, who has believed in Jesus, is before the throne of God, falling and worshiping him all day long. And we'll look at some of those passages together. And the writer of Revelation, John, he, he definitely has this scene in mind when he gives us that scene. And this whole passage is this idea of the earthly kings. Here's what they're going to do. Here's this king who's going to arise to resist what God wants. And probably he's referencing a, a Greek king uh, who, who uh, came against the people of Israel in the time that we look at the books of Maccabees. And this idea that he's going to try to put an end to God's people. But there will be a continuing of God's people because of the faithfulness of God to be there present with them. Now, when we think about the Christmas season... One of the things that is, is great to do, and I love it, is to uh, anticipate the, the time we get to spend together. And, and even today, I was talking to somebody who was saying, oh, Christmas is a pagan celebration, and it's connected to, to paganism. And, uh, and one of the things I was saying is that any culture and any religion that you have is going to have a time of celebration as you head into the long, dark night of winter. That makes sense. That makes sense. Any, any religious, so there's always going to be connections there. But Christians from, all, from time immemorial have celebrated this time of year for a couple different reasons. One is that we're pretty clear that Jesus uh, died, that he was crucified on March 25th. And for early Christians, they, they made this, this connection that Jesus came and entered into the world at the same time. It was kind of a beautiful image for them. 
So they said, well, Jesus also was conceived on March 25th, which would make his birthday December 25th. So it was a pretty early idea for Christians to think about it that way. Another thing, if you walk through the scriptures, probably the wise men showed up somewhere around December. That's, that's where it makes most sense, knowing what we know about Herod's death. That would be your marker of where the wise men show up, best that we can figure it out. So those are things that Christians have celebrated through the years. And when we look at this passage, when we think about the world around us, we think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they live, Daniel here in this passage is talking about faithfulness to God in the middle of a time where people don't acknowledge God as King and Lord. That's what this book is about. This book is a picture of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, we're going to be faithful to God even when the culture around us does not know him as God. And I think all of us live somewhat in a culture like that today. So when we look at Daniel, we, we can say, well, how does that apply to our lives today? Revelation has the same message. Revelation is speaking the same message to Christians. So we'll see that together as well. And the thing that, that stands out for me the most is that every time we look at what the response in Daniel or Revelation is to a culture that doesn't understand the truth about who God is, that even resists what God wants, that lives in an opposite way, the response of the person who knows the truth about this ancient of days who sits on the throne is to drive themselves further and further into worship. The response is not to start a culture war or not to start a real war. The response is to say, how can I fall on my face before the one who desires to bring his life into me in a way that changes everything about me? And so when we look at the story, I, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I was tempted to preach on that. And, and it's just great that they say, hey, whether or not you throw us in the fire, whether or not we survive the fire, we have no choice but to worship this God because his truth and his life is all we know. And that's the life of Daniel. I love the life of Daniel. We think of the story of Daniel and the lion's den. They're like, how can we get to Daniel? What can we do to take him out? They search everything about his internet history for scandals. They look back and they ask everybody who's ever known him. They get through his dating history. And the only thing they can say is this guy prays too much. That's what we could get him on. He spends too much of his time falling on his face before the Ancient of Days. That's how we'll have to get him. That is the mindset of the follower of Jesus in Revelation, of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, uh, in Daniel. When we're troubled, when the world around us resists, we fall on our face in worship. We come before God and say, bring us your life. All right, let's continue reading. Daniel 7, 11 through 14. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body destroyed and thrown to the blazing fire. Beasts, as you know, come from Revelation as well. The other beasts that had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a brief period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority... Glory and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, you guys know who that is, right? Uh, they have this idea of the Son of Man, which is Jesus' most common title for himself. He says, you want to know who I am? 
I'm the son of man. And again, that idea of son of man is this one who identifies with human beings. I'm one of you is what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the son of man. I am one of you. I am God here with you. I, uh, I, I talked about, I think last year I talked about it, uh, a kind of a common phrase today might be to say, uh, I, I have a good friend who um, I, I called and I tried to set up uh, an order at a church I was at and uh, to, to get some mugs, I think. And his secretary call, called him and said, hey, your boy called up, right? Because you know, she knows that I'm, I'm like best friends with him. She's like, your boy called up, so we're going to give him a good deal. When Jesus says, son of man, he says, I'm your boy. I'm the one that you're looking for. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the son of man. And that's what here is here in this passage. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. We know all this is what is talking about Jesus, the son of man, who shows up in the manger. As much human as any human can be. Not born in the royal palace, but born in the stable. This is the one who's come to identify with us in every way possible and bring us a love that can never be destroyed. This is what we're talking about here. Now, for Daniel and the connection to uh, the Christmas story. You may have caught it earlier, uh, but in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, you may notice it says, The king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. So interestingly enough, the wise men come from the east. The wise men come from, as best we can figure, the area of Babylon. And it is fascinating to me to think, just, just follow with me for a second. You, you, you might think about it this way. You know, sometimes uh, if, you're, if you're reading a story, an author will leave you some gaps to fill in. And there are some gaps in the Bible we have to think about to say, well, what happened? How in the world did these magicians, these wise men, these wise leaders from Babylon know to come looking for Jesus at this particular time in Jerusalem and then in Bethlehem. How did they know that? And what we know in Scripture, the only thing we know in Scripture is that the Jews were sent into exile in Babylon, and we know that Daniel rose to immense prominence among the wise men, the word is here, magi, in Babylon. So I don't think, you can follow along with me, I don't think that it's too much to stretch that 400, 300, 200, 100, and then finally to the time of Jesus. You have people who know about the teachings of Daniel, who know about this one who prophesied the Son of Man, the kingdom that would never end, that would be set up by the hand of God, and they wander their way into Jerusalem and say, we've seen the sign, we know that king has, has come, and we want to know more. The only reason that happens, though, is because of the faithful witness of Daniel, who in a place where people don't know where to turn, they don't know the right from the left, they're not living the way that God wants, is faithful to fall on his face and worship God, is faithful to show love to those around him that God has called him to show and to proclaim the truth about this God who wants relationship with them. Because of him and his faithfulness, his faithfulness to be uh, true to what God has called him to be, even in the middle of trying times, those around him learned of this life of love, this God who called him into relationship with himself, and someday they came looking. There are people around you, in your neighborhood, in your work, at the grocery store, in the parking lot of the grocery store, who need to see that faithfulness, who need to see somebody 
who says, I know about this king who's come. I know about his kingdom that's taken over my whole life, and my whole life is directed to worship. And it may not be now. It may be years down the road. Maybe somebody else, maybe your kids or your grandkids will speak to someone who saw that light, and they'll be faithful to follow it because of your faithfulness now. May that be the case. We're going to share in a little time of communion today. And uh, as we do that, if you look in front of you, there's some communion cups. And I'll direct you when to take communion together. Everyone is welcome to take communion. Anyone who believes in Jesus, you're welcome to share in the meal with us. And uh, that's the time that we have to share together. I enjoy the fact that when Jesus comes as king and he begins to set up his kingdom, he's about to go to the cross and then raise from the grave and begin this kingdom that will never end. He says, let's start with a meal and you're all invited. 